Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 40. I'm joined this week with my co-casters Jim uh, Disappointment and Travis Allen. And we have a guest this week, Thomas Dodd, otherwise known as Amistad. Uh, if you want to go ahead and give yourself a little, a little introduction on exactly what you do and how you sort of moved into the magic scene, Thomas. Uh, sure. Hey guys, my name is Thomas. Uh, I've got a store, Card Advantage, uh, American Side. Not to be confused with my buddy Peter, shout out. And uh, we specialize in bulk and, you know, have, experiencing the LGS, getting it off the ground, stuff like that. So, did the GP scene, kind of focusing on LGS right now. And of course, Jim, where can people find you? Uh, if Twitter at PHROSD underscore. Travis. Uh, again, Travis Allen and my Twitter handle right there. You can see it. So if you're watching this live and interacting with us, we already have a sizable group of people that are talking with us in the chat. You can see that we finally got some sort of uh, vi visual appeal and like little things added in. Travis looks like he's currently on a CNN interview. So We had our visual appeal three weeks ago when your video cam, your camera was off. All uh, right. Yeah, sorry. I was... Uh, I tried to set it up, but the only thing I could find on how to set it up were alternative facts, so it just didn't work out. Uh, we've got a bunch of price spikes that happened last week, though, so there's plenty of things to talk about. Walking Ballista went ballistic, of course. That card's seeing a ton of play in the green-black decks right now. Uh, Metalwork Colossus has started dropping back down to around a dollar, $2 lately, so if you had that bulk spec, it's not exactly... Uh, panning out for you anymore. Your profits aren't as as colossal as before. And of course, we have the Pro Tour coming up next weekend. Uh, now, Thomas, you definitely know the most about casual cards. In fact, you're sort of famous yes. for it on Twitter about the blueprint, which of course you can get into. Have you noticed an increased demand in anything leading up to this week in the Pro Tour, or did, does that not even matter to the overall grand scheme of things? So today, uh, when I was at work, I was uh, pulling orders, trying to think of what you know, I could bring in, in terms of value for you guys. And the answer might not be what you think. It has nothing to do with the Pro Tour. I would not worry about bringing value to this whatsoever. <laughs> we are far beyond that ever matter. So uh, the one the one shout out I'd like to give is Lightning Strike from M15. And it is solely, I assume, based on this uh, new Frontier format. Jim, have you uh, dipped your pause into frontier yet or is that something that you're trying to stay away from man it just looks like the last two years of standard and i played a lot of that and i enjoyed the decks that were played during that time but i really have a hard time convincing myself that i should rebuy those cards and play those decks again when i'm not really sure that this is not going to just be another like tiny leaders thing where it was like popular because magic was in this weird spot where everyone was kind of bored. Like, we just got a new set, and Standard really looks sweet, and I don't know, I like casting Torrential Gear Hulk and flashing back Glimmer Genius, so I think I'd rather do that than, like, collect a company and whiff. Um, and as you said, Jim, there's sort of been that decline where we first saw uh, Tiny Leaders, and now we have a decline in Frontier, sort of the new thing. As far as for both Travis and Thomas, you know, you guys do uh, an amount of sales online that I feel you guys have sort of a grasp on exactly what's selling online. 
have more competitive cards been moving lately, or is it more casual stuff for you guys that's been moving real easily on either Amazon or on uh, TCG Player? Uh, I will have to say that the uh, masterpieces did not disappoint. Uh, even though they were worth a little less this time, I feel like people kind of uh, come to know what to expect in terms of pricing there. But uh, definitely selling quickly, and I can definitely echo what you guys were saying last time. Even with Modern Masters looming, uh, everything's still moving relatively quickly. I mean, I'm still selling Snapcasters and Lilianas and things like that at, at a good clip. Yeah, I, I don't sell, I'm sure, 1% of what Thomas goes through in a, a day, week, month. Um, <clears throat> but, I mean, I generally still find the casual cards to be, well, I shouldn't say that. Competitive cards, I think, with the, the rare times that I list them tend to sell pretty fast. Uh, I just don't get them in, you know, as long as it's a hot commodity, like a Walking Bliss type of card, I think it'll move pretty quick. But, uh, I mean, the casual stuff has still been has still been pretty good to me. And I just sold a place that have retracts for $38. So there's apparently some real demand on that one. Yep. Sold a place set of pure steel paladins today for forty dollars on TCG and fifty-two on the shop. It felt great. Uh, do you mind if I jump in on that? Because um, I had two. Crazy. I had two guys at the local store working on this deck, proxying it up, asking me for tracks and things like that. Do you think that there's a real concern about Watsy coming out saying that this is a turn four format, a new deck popping up that is a turn two deck? and people buy into it. I mean, where, where do you think consumer confidence falls on, on, on something like that? So, so yeah, like, the deck can win on turn two, but I think that there's just a lot of things that have to go right for that to happen. And I'm not sure how often it happens yet, but it really has to get a lot of bad press before anyone even starts talking about bannings. Um, like the fact that you can interact with this deck with lightning bolt and and fatal push and path to exile, like you have to play a two mana two two and have it not die immediately, is definitely a strike against the deck. Um, but it, it it'll goldfish you know like the ad nauseum deck out of the game pretty quickly, pretty easily. Um, the only thing that I'm going to say though is that if you're the kind of person that really enjoys combo decks, be careful. Um, cards like Mox Opal and Simeon Spirit Guide are just things that are like they're they're on thin ice, I think. And at any point they could be banned. I don't know if it'll be, you know, in the next banning. I don't know if it'll be this year. I don't know if it'll be next year. But there's just gonna get to a point where it doesn't make any sense that some cards are on the ban list and some cards aren't on the ban list when they're pretty close to the same thing. Like. Mox Opal is the kind of card that's now it's being played in the Cheerios deck, it gets played in Infinity, and it gets played in Lantern. And if all of those decks, or at least two of the three of those decks, are just performing more or better than, than people think they should, then that card can get banned, and then it's really hard to play Cheerios. I don't think you can make mana without drawing all of your Mox Opals to like kill them or whatever. Um, so, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really hard to say what's going to happen, but it's definitely way too early to um, worry about it. Like, if you're going to play in like a bunch of SCG opens or like a modern Grand Prix in the next three months, I think you're probably fine. I don't think they're going to ban anything before that. Uh, <clears throat> I, I having played the deck, it was not a turn two deck. Uh, 
unless you are a psychopath, but it is definitely a turn three deck if your opponent doesn't have a lightning bolt or a piece of removal. Uh, I think that you are safe in the midterm, short term, the midterm. Uh, long term, yeah, Mox Opal is definitely looking pretty suspect. It's kind of odd that that's legal when like Chrome Mox and the other Moxes aren't. Uh, Mox Opal Sand Black, I remember very vividly saying that Mox Opal is better than the other Moxes once you fulfill the conditions. So as long as you're playing a deck that can match Metalcraft, it's better than all other Moxes. So that's Affinity, um, <clears throat> which is a pretty, pretty strong claim. Even if he's half correct, uh, that's a big deal. So this deck may be what gets Mox Opal banned. I mean, if it, that you know, it very well could not be. It could be, uh, but it, this won't be the only thing that gets Mox Opal banned. Mox Opal's already certainly on their watch list. So, uh, you know, it's. I guess at this point, you have if you're buying into this deck and you're picking up Mox Opal, you kind of have to recognize that Mox Opal is probably in their top five cards to be concerned about at this point. And as long as you know that going in, that's okay. Speaking from a strictly financial standpoint, does it matter if the deck gets banned as long as you sell the cards high and you buy them low? Well, and then when they get banned again, banned? You, yeah, but then you just buy Splinter Twins at a dollar again and then they go up over time because both Splinter Twin and Mox Opal have demands in formats outside of modern. Well, so. if we're talking about somebody who wants to play the deck now, they're paying what is it, the 45 or 50 bucks for Mox Opals today. And then if they go to, if they get banned and they go to sell, it's going to be 30 bucks. So they're taking a hit on it. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, Thomas is like, well, what about the consumer confidence? But for me, it's sell the cards. If the deck gets banned, the deck gets banned. And then you just rebuy the cards. So, like, so you're the saying, so you're the saying people shouldn't play it right now? No, I'm saying from the seller's standpoint, it doesn't matter if the deck gets banned or not, as long as you get out of the cards now that your profit margins are insane on these. Like, uh, Pure Steel Paladin has applications outside of Modern, and as a result, BIOS on that have been higher than Retract, because Retract's price is only focused right now on this Modern deck, whereas Pure Steel Paladin sees playing Commander and 60-card formats. So what I'm saying is, it doesn't matter what's good and Modern if these price spikes are happening. Just sell out, don't look back, and if they get banned, just buy them back at what they were before this deck was a thing. All right, so your point is, if you have spare mox opals as a vendor seller sell them, now. You sell them now which yeah. is fair that, that's fair i guess i would i was thinking thomas was speaking more to like the guy at the store who's thinking about buying mox opals to play the deck uh well then i would say that you shouldn't be playing modern in the first place so yeah know. i don't know why you guys gave jeremy a pedestal to stand on <laughs> about this. well like, you know how he feels about modern to begin with so 80 yeah. percent of the standard SCG this weekend was green, black, or Sahili. Meanwhile, the top 16 of the modern classic was 13 different decks. So, you know. Right. But the difference I would argue is when it comes to modern, at least at our shop, people are more likely to play tier one decks. Whereas when I go and watch FNM, Timmy's playing his casual brew that he's winning with. And, you know, we're selling a bunch of random cards to people who want to play five color Panharmonic counter. They want to play mono blue paradoxical storm or stuff like that, that, you know, you would never be able to get to the top tables at an SEG event with, but at your local FNM, which is where my demand comes from, it doesn't matter. So your point is that modern's bad because you can't play a panharmonic on at an SCG open, but you can no, play no, no, it no. at an from FNM? A seller, from a seller <laughs> standpoint, you'll sell more random standard cards than you will random modern cards because the modern metagame right now is sort of 
arbitrarily focused towards these top 15 decks and standard is always changing so you're going to sell more cards over time from standard the problem with standard is if you can get out in time before the cards go down uh i will give you that if you have a storefront that can churn cards standard is a more profitable format for you right but the other thing that we've seen is and you know i'll <clears throat> talk about the upswing a bit modern dropped 25 percent. if i had put a ton of holdings in modern over this winter i would have seen a ton of uh, profits go away. Whereas, and this is using the MTG Goldfish Prize Index of the top hundred played cards in Standard. This is where I'm getting my information from. Now we've seen Modern go up about five percent over the last uh, month, but it still has twenty percent to grow. And you know there is opportunity with Modern Masters 2017 coming out, but I don't feel necessarily as comfortable matching these higher buy list prices on modern cards right now as much as i do on the standard stuff because we'll go through about 30 panharmonicons before we'll sell a single set of snapcaster mages so that's just where i'm coming from is that it's easier to move these edh slash standard cards deploy the gatewatch for example stuff like that and any of the planeswalkers really than we will these you know cryptic commands vendillion clicks stuff like that well now, i that's correct, <clears throat> but yeah. that doesn't change the fact that modern is still more fun to play, which is your whole point. <laughs> I personally still think vintage is the best format. So, yeah, you're right. The, the yeah. one time a year you can get eight people in a room to sanction a tournament, <laughs> I'm sure it's a blast. Man, I can't wait to go to Haruya. They fire vintage four to five times a day. It's going to be yeah, great. I bet. It's going to be so good. Um, probably not. Yeah, it's probably just going to be Saito kicking my ass at the shop or something. Uh, let's move on. So we had a couple of questions um, at Tristan Gregson, I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tristan Sean Gregson, who used to work at uh, uh, Channel Fireball. Uh, what is the strangest thing slash service people have traded magic cards for? I know Thomas probably has a good one for this. Um, who wants to start off? Okay, shout out to TSG. I missed him at the Vegas house uh, last GP, unfortunately. And uh, so, okay, I need a second to think about this because I'll come up with a good one. I'm going to pass this one. I have to imagine the answer to this is sex, right? Like, there's got to be many instances of that occurring. I guess it's not really weird, though. Let's see, I've seen gas money. Right, do you have anything, Jim? Um, I'm trying to think of like something in particular that was like weird. Like the problem is that I think I've just kind of gotten used to all of the things that people trade magic cards for that are not, um, usual. Like, I guess like the weirdest thing, but not necessarily the most surprising is like, I've seen people trade like magic cards that are worth an actual amount of dollars for a pen and a pad of paper. Cause they didn't have one for a tournament and the store wasn't selling any. And it was like a $15 rare for a crappy pen and a pad of paper because they wanted to play in this PTQ or whatever. Yeah, no, it was like super bad value for them. Um, I've seen Magic Cards being traded for Girl Scout cookies. Um, and lunch. And I think that's about it. Yeah, I think gas, rides to events, food, you know, dinner, those are all standard. Uh, rent, I've seen rent. Um, you know, basic expenses. I, really odd, though. I, I don't really have anything off the top of my head. What have you got? Did you come up with anything, Thomas? So I think I'm going to have to plead the fifth here because 
a couple of stories popped into my mind, but I can't blast anybody. So I'm just going to go ahead and plead this in. But you don't have to give us the names, right? You can just give us what what the service was, the good. Uh, I guess let I guess let me say uh, there's more to a GP than just what happens in the GP hall. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I, All right. So my initial my initial assessment that Sax has absolutely been traded for magic many times is clearly true. Clearly true. That's how you get a tainted wood, though. <laughs> tap that. Yeah. Uh, I've seen an iPad, which is interesting. I've seen John. Uh, what is it? Medina, Medina wrote about that, right? There's a whole article. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen like in, in front of me like, for an iPad. I've seen for a Halo suit of armor, uh, for like anime con or so, whatever the the fuck the con people do at their conventions, like the full master master chief like set yeah, of armor. Jeremy, you sound like such an old fart. Like all these <laughs> all these youngins with their costumes going to cons and watching their enemies and having the waifus and stuff. Yeah, I'm definitely not a part of that culture. I so. don't think the the old men in your image in your story would be saying waifu. <laughs> They'd be saying maybe maybe I went a little Nintendo far station, with that one, but Nintendo stations and Pokemon. Yeah. No, I mean I've just seen like mainly other goods like yeah, like what I said like cosplay stuff and like, Yeah, I I I don't know. There's not really Nothing that crazy. Like cars, have, I've seen a lot. There's like a couple of Brazilian students that were going back to America, and the cars that they had after three years, they obviously couldn't bring back, so they just traded them for dual lands and then took those back to Brazil. So I've seen that. Like I guess that's the weirdest one. I don't know. It's nothing that crazy. Um, yeah. Any anything else, Thomas? Before we move on from that. Yeah. I, I, so my buddy Kyle. Um... We call him Ginger Beard. You probably know Kyle Hintz. He so when they used to run booths, they would trade for odd clothing items, and so they would trade their magic cards for people's odd clothing items, and then give them to someone at the booth who had to then wear it for the rest of the weekend. So there were all kinds of shoes, the one Michael Jackson glove, all kinds of weird stuff. What are you? What are you trying to put? Is that is that our expletive counter? Wait, what? Oh yeah. Look at look at Travis. He's got a he's got a counter going for us. Um, so another card that's sort of disappointed from uh, Ether Revolt is uh, Heart of Kiron. Do you guys think that this will continue to go down, or do you think that there's room at the Pro Tour for this to come out? Because I know like Jim was thinking about this card. I've made. Yeah, I've bought like maybe a playset in the last two weeks, and that's it from customers because I'm just like that not confident in that card. Uh, Jim, do you sort of want to go into why it's a trap? Because green white tokens is a bad deck. Three power creatures, uh, like it basically gives a three power creature haste, or it lets your Gideon or your Nissa crew um, it for basically no mana. But the problem is that it doesn't fight very well right now because it dies to grasp of darkness and a uh, the harness lightning. If you have one like energy from like a aether hub or whatever, like it's not very durable. It's kind of annoying to crew because you can't crew it with your smaller guys like uh, the three bin inspector. 
And overall, it just doesn't it doesn't do anything you want it to do. It's just not big enough. Like the three five for a three, which I think is called Aether Sphere Harvester, is a rare and not a mythic, but it fits into more decks because it just does more things that you want to do. Like the other thing is that the Heart of Kieran is legendary, so it's like real awkward to draw multiple of those because they just don't do anything. Like when the second one just is not as good as the first, and it's also just I don't know like. The way you want to cruise with Planeswalkers, and Planeswalkers are kind of in a weird spot because people are playing so many um, walking ballistas. And I don't know if anyone saw the Star City Open, not last week, but the week before, where walking ballista and uh, Verderous Gearhulk just shot down on Nyssa and a Gideon on the same turn with just removing a bunch of counters. And then you could never crew that thing again. So it's just not, it's just not very good. Like, I don't think it's the worst mythic in the set, but it's definitely not worth the 10 or $12 or whatever it is right now. It doesn't get played nearly enough for that. Anyone else want to talk about Heart of Kieran? The price has come down uh, a good bit, but it's still seen, was still seeing reasonable play. Um, what was playing at that first week? I don't have the list up in front of me, but there was a bunch of decks that had it. There was green white token decks, and then there were like these Mardu vehicles decks, but those are in a really awkward spot because one toughness creatures are just kind of miserable. Like the best way to crew that is with the the three one, and you just can't really play that deck because it just dies to blocking ballista on two. Well, yeah. So I guess I mean I don't think that Heart of Kieran is necessarily completely gone. Uh... You know, we still might see the Pro Tour bring it back, but I mean, like the fact that it dies to Walking Bliss is so easily is certainly fair. As long as Black Green is good, I guess that makes Heart of Kieran a little tougher because you can't play the Mardu guy. Um, yeah, but I guess even if they ban Sahili, the Sahili combo, I guess Walking Bliss is still going to be a problem for that. I guess they could ban, oh, they wouldn't ban Sahili, by the way, they'd ban Felidar Guardian, but they could ban Felidar Guardian, break up the combo, then Walking Ballista becomes good not great because it's no longer useful in breaking up the onboard combo which then might make the vehicles more playable so you kind of might see that metagame shift so i mean if hardy kieran gets down to like two bucks i could see scooping up some copies just because you know they could easily swing back up to 20 something but uh yeah i mean i guess for right now i'd be selling my copies so if we're talking about cheap mythics do you guys think mechanized production is a good one to start picking up If you guys know what mechanized production is, yeah, that's the one that you can like. If you have eight or eight of the same thing, you win the game or something like that. Yeah. Do you think that this is just a good value card for EDH players with an incidental win? I mean, how it it has to be like a dollar. If it's not a dollar, I don't. I'm not interested. It, it's probably more than that still right now. So I I would wait till it's a bulk mythic, but. I don't know how many people actually want to play that kind of card compared to how many people are going to open cards from the set. Like, you could be holding it for a really long time. Like, Clever Impersonator is kind of in the same vein. It's like a card that's, like, not very good outside of casually EDH-y kind of things. And only recently that card has, like, moved from the floor, right? I'm super paranoid of things like this right now uh, based on the way the, the reprint cycle is. I come from a Medina school of MTG finance, not to mention the fact that, you know, the, the reprint cycle, I just, I don't know if we have enough time for this card. I feel like this could be in a commander deck that was copy based, which is already 
a good commander, you know, theme to make a deck out of. So I'm going to pass on this one. I don't know. I do. <clears throat> do you think a card like this is a reprint in two to four years? It's a pretty unique. I mean, I don't know. Like, do you think that the demand is going to ramp up enough or that they will anticipate enough demand to bother reprinting it? No, I don't think this goes in the same deck as Anticipate. I, I don't it it probably falls in between that like nice little land of not enough people care about it. So when the reprint finally does come, it completely gets hosed. Um, a good example would be like Hundred Handed one for me. That was one of my all-time greatest sellers, but nobody even knows the card exists. And then it gets printed in Conspiracy 2, and it's now like a 10 cent rare. I mean, it was, I was fine when it was a 75 cent rare, but now it's kind of sad. Hmm. Yeah, but you did call a bunch of other ones. For example, the 7 mana, seven mana black rare. I bring this up every cast, and I forget the name of it. The black Jimmy, rare. You're a little scratchy right now. Did you put your phone under your mic cable or something? Be right back. What, Thomas, do you know what card he's talking about? Some Black Rod Mythic or something? No, it's the seven mana black enchantment that we always forget the name of. Oh, Grave Betrayal. Yeah, yeah. That oh, was sure, cool. sure. Yeah, Grave Betrayal's great. <laughs> Any better? Uh, Say again? You're good. Okay. Uh, the other one that you clued me into is Colossus of Akros. Ah, uh, yes, definitely. Huge yeah. fan of Colossus of Akros. So, like, if you guys follow Thomas on Twitter or just talk to him, he's got some good, good picks. And um, so do you factor that into the blueprint if you sort of want to explain exactly what that is? Uh, sure. So basically, uh, my buddy Zach, who did a lot of work with me when we were doing the GP circuit, uh, helped me devise a buy list for commons and uncommons. Uh, it was really a niche market that I felt opened up when Troll and Toad kind of stepped back from the scene. So, you know, I've kind of spent the last like two years really trying to understand the micro cards, as we like to call them, or the penny socks of magic. Not penny socks in the sense of like actually like buying to see if they go up, but just uh, staples like Lightning Strike or Rampant Growth, um, all the way up to like expensive ones like Utopia's Raw. So for those who don't know, he basically has an extensive buy list of commons where you, st you started at like three cents, I think, two cents, three cents. Uh, we do. We uh, some things have gone down to two cents just based on uh, the un unfortunately the success of the list has caused some cards like Gilgates and things like that to drop in price or potentially come off. But um, for those looking to out their bulk at better than five per k, it might be something you're looking at as long as your cards are near mint and you. Uh, it definitely is. I mean, there is there's some uh, sorting to be done, but uh, I mean it's. I think we were averaging maybe around fifteen dollars per thousand uh, after we picked it and sorted it and all that. So I think you were able to still have a pretty reasonable uh, return per hour. Yep. Um, and another card, mythic-wise, that I have my sights on because it started to go back up. Uh, Startled awake. It's gone up about a quarter in the last two months. Uh, it's a flip mythic and casuals love mill. This is a card I definitely want to keep paying a quarter or 50 cents on. It's gone up a quarter in two months, man. Whoo. It's a fast. Uh, that's pretty number. good for a bulk mythic. I guess I, so. I, yeah. I think this is going to be a really good card a couple years down the line. 
I think this is one of the ones where they're not going to find a way to reprint it. So it's just one I'm keeping my eye on. It's going to be in Modern Masters 2017. We're going to hate everything. Now we'll get blown out again. It, it happens. What's the, uh, what's the best performing mill card? It's got to be Glimpsy Unthinkable, right? Uh, like from a percentage point, yeah. Well, what's, so what's after Glimpse? Archive Trap, Mesmeric Orb, Consuming Aberration yeah, was a bulk rare, went up to three, and then it got reprinted. I mean, cause, like, I look at Archive Trap, and that had competitive, I mean, some competitive appeal. Mind Funeral. Yeah, yeah Mind Funeral was an uncommon, was a couple bucks. I'm just trying to wonder, like, if you're paying a dollar fifty on Start all the way, two bucks, like, if you're someone like me, who's not getting them at buy list, what's your ideal scenario on that card? Is it five Find bucks? A collection, buy it in a collection, set it aside, and don't flip it. No, but I mean... I definitely, I definitely don't think you buy in at retail. Yeah. I agree with Thomas on this. I mean, but, you know, a, a good example for me would be increasing confusion. Um, you know, it's almost up to $2 now. Um, and, I mean, you, you certainly could get it for $0.10 cents when it was out. And I feel like, potentially, you know, this could work the same way. Same with, like, Lab Maniac, where that card was... Same with Dead I Get. Navigators finally got some legs, too. That card's $6 in Japan in most places. Like, and it's now $2.50 here. So, I don't know. Yeah, Dead Eye Navigator is a weird card, because I was also in one of the intro decks, so there's just, like, a shit ton extra of those. Thomas, are there any other cards you've got your eye on or Travis lately, as far as the casual or competitive market goes? Uh, there's, there's a couple things I'm looking for. Let me see if I can pull up some uh, some information for you guys. Uh, well, Thomas is looking. Um, not terribly. I mean, the curtains call already. The curtains call rush already came and went. Uh, beyond that, I don't have anything especially on my radar at the moment. Um, I've been thinking a lot more about standard and modern standard, especially with the pro tour next weekend, trying to wonder if there's any fertile ground in there. So uh, I'll jump in real quick with lightning strike again, uh, not trying to beat that down, but based on my sales volume for M15 lightning strike, I don't know frontier that well to know what other staples could potentially be moving. And again, I'm talking about like, you know, the super micro level. I'm like talking about digging through your closet and finding cards like this. But I don't know uh, if there's other cards that are just terrible you would never think of, like Lightning Strike, that could also potentially be moving as the format gains popularity. And then the other uh, small example I thought of is uh, Eternal Masters, Commons and Uncommons, are, are holding value surprisingly well. I feel like Conspiracy 2... Uh, was an absolute dog, but for some reason, EMN has been very, very good for us. Now, when you say that Conspiracy 2 is a dog, is that because it sold a lot of copies? Like, wh what is what are you referring to? Uh, was, yeah, so by dog, I, don't, I, I should have clarified because I don't mean underdog. It was, uh, it was garbage. Well, like, like, Garbage from a shop's perspective or garbage from a player's perspective? Because I thought Conspiracy 2 was, was cooler than the first one. So I, I meant more from a store perspective um, because I like, so, you know, kind of like Jeremy was saying, like, we sell a lot deeper than a lot of other stores do. So that makes our opening math a little bit different. 
kind of like Paul was talking about last week, like, you know, Aether being really strong to open, that's like almost doubly strong for us because Winding Constrictors and like, you know, some of the obvious cards are great, but then I also have a lot of uncommon vehicles and stuff. When it came to Conspiracy 2, I felt like, you know, Ghostly Prison got hit with a double reprint that was terrible. Diabolic Tutor got hit with a double reprint. Murder got hit. Like, I'm actually kind of concerned moving forward about the master set every year and what it's going to do to the the dollar and comments and things like that. Which is your bread and butter. Indeed, yes. I mean, you I mean, it's one thing to have two thousand lightning strikes when somebody says, Hey, this is the best removal spell in this brand new format. And then it's another thing to have two thousand diabolic tutors and Wasi's like, Oh, here's a double reprint, it's now a quarter. That would be a bummer. Yeah, so, so yeah, go ahead, Jim. I wanna I wanna just jump in there real quick. So I think part of the problem that I have this year, particularly with the reprints, is that I keep doubling up on some cards that just hadn't been reprinted for a long time, and then they were like, here's a reprint, and then here's another one immediately. Like, uh, for example, Mana Platinum Angel, Iona. Yeah, like, like Man Mana Crypt was in Eternal Masters. It was one of the highlight cards. It was like, oh, man, we haven't seen Mana Crypt literally since it came out as a, like a book promo or whatever, I think it was. They did Mana Crypt... Then they had a masterpiece immediately. And then they printed Mana Crypt again. They did another run of Eternal Masters, and it's just like too many Mana Crypts. And the same thing happened with the conspiracy stuff, which I can see now if you like look, like the only conspiracy commons and uncommons that are worth anything are Beast Within, Ghostly Prison, and Serum Visions. Beast Within and Ghostly Prison both got reprinted like in the very next set, which is Commander. How many times are you going to print those cards until they're worth nothing? Also, to speak on the point of Lightning Strike. Uh, if you go to the MTG Goldfish website and look at the format staples for Frontier, uh, the top five cards are Smuggler's Copter, Jace Rins Prodigy, Reflector Mage, Lightning Strike, and Elvish Mystic. So if you're looking for a card that's going to be probably a lot like Lightning Strike, it's going to be Elvish Mystic. I have a car a frontier a metagame staples for frontier <laughs> uh they just well it's just a, a, a aggregate site they just take a bunch of deck lists and throw them in a processor and they come out with the cards that where are, are they like, even getting deck lists from uh they get them from the haruya frontier events that happen i believe twice a day in japan they have like god of frontier tournament twice a day okay so anyway, I don't really know where they come from, but I know that all of the formats have this same kind of thing where they just analyze a bunch of deck lists and they give you some information that's pretty easy to read. And, you know, that's a, a resource that I use pretty regularly to figure out, you know, what kind of cards I should be looking to get, hopefully before they end up being expensive. Good point. Um so we have a sort of a debate, I guess, on exactly how we each do this. Um, one of the things that is the problem with being an MTG finance guy is you can have too many cards and you don't know where to put them. And sometimes if you have too many cards, you can feel any, like you're getting... Any, what? Any, any numbers too many. Any numbers yeah. too many. Sometimes when you buy a lot of collections, you know, you have magic cards everywhere wherever you may live, and you can start to feel boxed in. Uh, what is the best way, storage-wise, that you guys deal with uh, storing magic cards, especially foils? 
to either sell them or hold them for long term if you just sort of want to go through the lineup. Uh, Jim is first on the lineup, right? <clears throat> sure, why not? I guess I am now. Uh, so I used to live in New York where there was not a lot of humidity and I really didn't have that much problem with foils. Uh, I have moved to Florida and I deal with a lot of humidity which is really bad for foils. So the only thing that I could recommend is if you have cards that you're either going to sell or even if you're just going to keep them, um, either way, uh, put them in a sleeve. Just It sucks that you have to do it with so many cards if you have a lot of them, but buy yourself some penny sleeves. If you just have like a bunch of bulk foils, just stick like five or six of them in each sleeve, put them in a box, and you know that'll help somewhat with the um, problem <clears throat> that comes with the humidity. You could also use silica gel packets. I heard those work well. Um, I personally double-sleeve all of the foils that I use to minimize the amount of moisture that gets into them. And for pretty much everything except for like Kamigawa foils, which just turn into boats almost immediately, and there's nothing you can do about that, um, my foils are pretty okay. Uh, I'll go next since I'm one of the smaller guys. <clears throat> Probably less to say on this than Jeremy and... Thomas, um, I mean, as for I'm still in New York, so foils aren't really too big of a deal for me. I do try and keep all of them in sleeves. The only thing I don't have, only foils I don't have sleeved are just like my bulk foil stuff, which honestly should be anyways. Um, if you're looking at keeping personal collections, uh, it kind of depends on how much you have. I currently have, uh, I guess, a like I have a four binder split. So, I mean, this, at least I, I did when I was still playing and trading fairly regularly. I had a binder for <clears throat> mod, for standard, modern, and legacy play sets that weren't exorbitantly expensive. So basically most cards under like 20 or $30, I kept play sets up. So that, you know, that was anywhere from, um, what is it? Sylvan Scrying up to, you know, whatever prismatic omens just kind of hanging out that were easily accessible uh the really expensive stuff snapcasters mox opals anything a little larger i have in one of those four square binders one of these guys uh pretty convenient um that holds all the staples then another binder for trading and finally a fourth binder just for edh staples because that got really large uh since i shoved one foil of everything in there um and then i have a box two boxes of bulk rares. So any, any, basically any rare that's not something I'm intentionally keeping track of, I just shove them in a giant box and I just leave them there. And which is a really great idea, by the way, uh, I would not sell your bulk rares unless you have to just keep them because they're always 10 cents. And every now and then something like pride of the cloud spikes and you're like, Oh, Hey, look at that. $10. Um, and then I just have a bunch of those five K's like four row five Ks and I would do like my standard legal commons and uncommons in those divided by color. And then as they rotated out of standard, I just kind of combined sets. And then, so I've got boxes starting at like Zendikar forward of just like, you know, here's that year standard set and core set all packed up in a way. And in case, you know, some crazy common from four years ago is suddenly popular. I can at least take out a play set for modern. Uh, I think that covers most of my cards. So I missed the audio cue earlier because I was trying to link something from Target, but uh, they have very easy to assemble metal shelving for like maybe 30 bucks or something like that. But we really like those, and a couple tips I can give you is 
uh, we prefer three row super shoebox size because we found that it's wide enough for you to actually have a top loader or something like that in case you wanted to have a divider or I don't know if it's wide enough for the holiday gift box dividers, but for any of the like sideboard dividers that come in the ultra pro boxes or something like that, you can use those. And then also uh, if you do buy a metal shelf or something like that, make sure you measure your shelf because three, four, and five row boxes all fit differently on them. And we found, I can't remember the measurements off the top of my head, but that's another reason we like the three rows is how, you know, how wide it is. It, we don't want to waste space when stacking rows and rows. Uh, the other thing about the four row binder is make sure it fits in your backpack or buy a backpack that it fits in. Yeah, I don't carry that to events, so the cat keep fitting in the backpack doesn't matter. But if you're trans traveling with it, that's fine. You know, mine has <clears throat> duels, shocks, fetches, you know, all of that stuff, so it, it doesn't leave the house. In fact, it should be in the safe, really, which is also something you should own if you have more than, what, probably five or six grand worth of guards. They should be, you know, the good stuff should be in a safe, which I have been negligent about, but you should do. Also, if you're watching right now, actually, I forgot. I, I have exactly that shelf that he's talking about right behind me. I got off of my lazy ass and decided to put it together finally. Yeah, I have a, I have a plastic one just off camera, too, that I use. It's the same concept. It, if it's two, you know, those four-row 5K boxes pretty conveniently, but I would there is a little bit of a gap, so I guess if I had the shoebox size ones, it would probably be a little cleaner. And it would fit one, depending on how much you draft, it would fit one block's worth of cards, especially now that they're two sets, one block's worth of cards a little cleaner too. So um, that's likely a, an appeal there. So if you are like, if you're a listener and you're like the three other guys on this cast right now, good job to you. You are the pinnacle of human cleanliness and you can perfectly put your cards away. I don't have necessarily enough time to even sort all my cards, so they just sort of get thrown in four rows, thrown in a closet, and then I remember them right before I go to a GP. It's not necessarily the best way to conduct the business, but uh, yeah. Like, I'll ship some stuff to St. Louis to get sorted and put online, but the stuff that I buy at, in uh, Columbia, I generally just throw in a closet and forget about it for a month until I have time, because... Hear me. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have enough money to forget about the cards I buy, so yeah. I have to. I have to get that uh, stuff online. Yeah. So what we've seen here is uh, Jeremy's privilege for any of the. <laughs> uh, I guess I should check it. Sorry. No, like it's honestly a thing where I'll forget about like an unpicked five row of commons, and then I'll look through it and I'll be like, "Oh, journey to nowhere, spell peers. I probably should put these in the shop." So then I'll take those and I'll put them in a in a box that's labeled one to five dollar cards, and then I'll throw that in the closet and I'll forget about it until I'm about to go to a GP, and then I'm like, I should probably order this stuff. And by that time, it's either gone up in value or down. For example, like transgress the mine was buy listing for a dollar at one point, then it was buy listing for fifty cents. So I technically lost out on a whole half of my money. But on the other hand, you have stuff like. Um, what was it? Inquisition of Kozluk that I was buying at two to three dollars right after the conspiracy reprint, and then you find them and they're like seven to eight dollars now, and it's like, oh, that's fine. But I'm I'm not a person to look at when it comes to organization. Um, in St. Louis, everything is alphabetized by color, by set, and then that it's alphabetized. So we have all the blues alphabetized, all the reds alphabetized, blah 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 blah. Uh, in the shop, we have everything just alphabetized, not by color, and then. 
anything that I don't feel like putting away just gets thrown in the bulk or a box. So it includes some one to $2 cards a lot and people come in a lot and buy those, but they think they beat the shop and then they buy 10 other bulkers and they're like, Oh, I beat the shop. And it's like, Nope. Got you. So no, nope, we charged you $9 for Heliod's. <laughs> I will kill you, Travis. I will just absolutely end you. Uh, yeah. We also have pricing errors cause I might not necessarily keep up to price keep up to date on prices because I'm busy with real life. And as a result, you can get um, $6 to Healy's or you can get, uh, uh, what is it? What's a card that was stupid hot? Like Gideon's, I think we had at 35 until last week because I had never changed the price tag on that. So yeah, I'm definitely not up to date. And I know there's a lot of uh, customers that go to go to my shop and they know to take advantage of me on stuff that I don't keep track of. So I am definitely not the model to look at when it comes to card storage. That's so, why yeah. still talking. Yeah, I know. Like, do what they're doing. Sort your cards. Put them away. Don't buy more collections until you've finished a collection. This might not apply to Thomas because he is a labor force, but for Travis or Jim, if you buy, like, 50,000 uh, commons and uncommons, like, don't start looking on Craigslist again until you can get that stuff put away and, like, pick through. Because for me, I, I have a very limited amount of time to look at magic while I'm in school. And it'll only get worse this summer. So, yay. Um, you guys want to move into pick of the week or you want to talk about anything else first? I don't know. All do right, we have any more viewer into... questions? Uh, we do, but one of them's a little weird. So we'll <laughs> save it for next week uh, if you're looking at the live chat. Um, so uh, let's move yeah, sorry. I have one last question. This is really directed towards you guys, um, more than a chance for me to talk. But do you? So I was thinking about this today as I was TCG listing uh, the masterpieces. So they pretty much confirmed that they're doing that every set, correct? For a while. Okay. Are you, I wonder how fast they're going to run out of options here. I mean, do you, what? What do you guys think about that? I mean, because they can't do another. I mean, maybe Mac Microsoft's lattice could be on the next cycle of artifacts, but there's only like you know six card types, right? So I believe the prediction for Amonkhet is that they'll do masterpiece gods as the sets, just like yeah. what we were talking about. <clears throat> I don't know what they're. I don't know what they're going to do. I think they're not going to do card types every time from here on out. It's going to be themes right so like it was <laughs> jeremy's just noticing that i made a jeremy's privilege card you'll notice that it's uh it's white but you can pay black lives to <laughs> to also get it <laughs> that's messed up let's get back on track <laughs> uh but more specifically um they're not going to do card types every time it you know we saw lands and we see artifacts we might see like an instant or sorcery or creatures at some point but i think like this one might be like stuff related to nickel bolus so like cruel ultimatum the nickel bolus planeswalker the nickel bolus creature legend things of that nature um there will be land matters themes you know stuff like that you know you could kind of just Think of themes in past sets, like Zenikar was Land Matters. Um, you know, there was Enchantment Matters, things of that nature. Uh, and I think you'll see those kind of guide the Masterpiece series concepts. And they're not always going to be um, extremely valuable. Uh, in fact, it, you know, between the lands and the artifacts, that's, that's a lot of very expensive cards that have already shown up. I also think they'll do cards more than once um, because 
they might end up, they'll probably do different borders for each of them, uh, which means that they could put Mox Opal in three different masterpiece series with, with three different borders, you know, kind of give people a choice. Yeah, I agree with most of what Travis said. We're probably going to see some looser themes, not necessarily just card types each time. Um, like maybe they do like graveyard things for Amonkhet. Maybe they do like Vengeful Pharaoh and Unburial Rites and just a bunch of like weird reanimator cards like Grave Titan or something like that. Like they're not just shoehorned into doing the same like a card type each time. It just happens that the two places that we just got them were both places that were card type was a more important theme than usual. Yeah. Yeah, I think enchantment matters is a good example of what you could end up seeing where that you'd be have enchantments, but then you'd have like Argothian Enchantress or you know that type of thing. Please not that card again. Yeah, and <laughs> the other thing is like I'm not sure how much people are gonna be really interested in them at at this point. Like they were really exciting with Battle for Zendikar, and they were like kind of exciting for Oath of the Gatewatch, and they were also kind of exciting again for Kaladesh, but I don't really think that people are like jumping for joy and running out and buying every single invention. I think that they're still going to be a lot more time or more, a lot more price to go down. I, I don't know how to explain this. I'm, I'm not so, finding the words. I, so I have a pretty small player base. Um, we're, so we're still like in the like 15 to 30s for FNM. And I don't think I sold a single masterpiece either set in person. And as soon as someone opened them, they ran up to me and took any number that I said to them because <laughs> it, it did not. Do you know why that is? Uh, I, I guess it's like lack of an EDH crowd or, it's, you know. It's because we're both located in the middle of bumfuck nowhere and all these fancy city slickers want to come in with their heavy pockets and just buy sure. all the shiny things. And where we live in the rural states of, uh, where are you, Georgia and mm -hmm. Missouri, we, uh, we, can't, we, we can't do that. So the, there's not an economy, I would argue, as much for that. I mean, the average player where I am is like making twenty-five dollars to $32,000 a year. And if you're right. based on the East or West Coast, that's a different percentage of your income to pay for a card like that. Yeah, I think that's a very uh, valid point to keep in mind for a lot of this stuff. Um, but, well, you know, on, on the point of like, oh, the more we get, the less interesting to become and nobody will want them. Well, like there's always going to be people that want them. They'll just, they might stabilize, I guess, at a lower price, right? Um, but like I will, you know, if master, if the inventions on some of those cards were ever like $3, like, yes, I will take all of them. I just don't want, I don't want $30 selling some of the locker rooms, but I'll take $10 for most of the locker rooms. You know, maybe we get to that point or any of them really. So yeah. I think we're going to actually get to a point where the X or the invention cards or the, I guess the masterpieces are going to be more like what recent foils look like. <clears throat> sure. And foils will be almost exactly the same as the normal copies. Because if you've uh, taken a look, which most people probably haven't, uh, the foil Shocklands from Return to Ravnica and Geek Crash were pretty expensive when they came out. They dipped a tiny bit when they rotated out of standard. But since the Expeditions have come out, they've just almost plummeted. Like, 
I saw someone selling them on Twitter, and I was just like, my jaw was a geek at how low the price was they were asking for some for, of them. For which card was that? Foil Shocklands from Return to Ravnica and Geek Crash. Oh, yeah. Do you know how Those, much I sold three foil Temple Gardens for today? From RTR? $45 total. 42 bucks. Yeah, you were pretty close. Like, they're dead. Right, which is which is to me is insane because that those cars were, were thirty or forty dollars each for for a pretty long period of time. And I think it's gonna come to the point where like just regular pack foils are gonna be worth almost the same as the regular like the non-foil copies because the masterpieces are now the best thing that you can get. So people that like foils, like you had two options and now the pack foils are not the best foils anymore. And I think that's going to have a big impact on the future prices of cards because if a card gets printed as a masterpiece, it's not going to affect the non-foil copies. It'll affect the foil copies of the card. Yeah. So you'll actually see some really huge disparity then between like given foils in a set. Be like, okay, well, this pack foil is three times the non-foil because it wasn't expeditioned but this one was so it's you know the pack foil is 15 percent more it's gonna be really odd all right i think thomas has got one more question for us if you want to go ahead yeah i wanted to jump in and uh do a shout out to my boy declan and answer his question that he posted in the chat so basically the pricing for the blueprint uh we have an internal uh, I'm sorry. So, can I can I pause you and just ask that you clarify the blueprint because I'm sure a lot. Yeah, yeah, of people have an idea. Uh, so basically, the blueprint is uh, it's mtgblueprint.com, and you can download a spreadsheet. It's got uh, a set sorted and alpha buy list for all of the weird cards. So, for instance, if you're hearing this and you have lightning strikes at home and you want to mail them to me, this is the best way to do that. So we have uh, buy list pricing on cards that are kind of non-traditional. So Declan was asking, you know, how do you come up with some of those prices? And the answer is mostly based on demand for us, but not only is it sell through demand, but it's also on, um, I guess, in like incoming demand, so to speak, or like supply, I guess. So for instance, like Invasion or Apocalypse might have higher prices just because who has Invasion bulk sitting around their house? Uh, like for instance, like our Aether and Kaladesh prices would be lower right now than they would be in like six years or something. And you know, also we use like the TCG online buy list to kind of reference our prices. Before when Zach, you know, and I created this whole thing, he used uh, MTGGG for his pricing. So that way we know that even though we're using our internal metrics, we aren't out of touch with the reality of what other people are paying. All right, let's get into pick of the week. Jim, do you want to start off with what you think? What do you think is good right now? Um, sure. So it's kind of a long shot, and if you, unless you're like really into it, I probably wouldn't buy them. But I think that the card that in standard that has the most potential to be a pro tour success right now is um oh man what is the name of it i just forgot inspiring statuary there we go uh it's a three mana artifact it lets you cheat things into play um 
if there is a good deck for it, the people that are at the Pro Tour will find it and they will play it. And at this point, everything else is kind of a known quantity. Like, I bought a bunch of Torrential Year Hulks. I bought a bunch of Retracts. I sold them now. But you need to do that like during pre-release or during pre-release week, or even earlier, like during the the um, spoiler season. At this point, there's not a lot of standard things that you can buy that'll like go up a significant amount that are not already very expensive. Um, I would say though that if you have any like Kaladesh bulk to go pick your Glimmer of Geniuses out of there because. That card is everywhere, and everyone's playing four copies of it, so it's going to be probably on buy lists pretty soon for uh, a reasonable amount of money. Even if you don't want to send them to Thomas because that's all you have, you could probably bring them to your LGS and get fifty cents or even maybe a dollar on them in the near future. That card can't possibly not be on buy list, right? I mean, it, being on a buy list for nickel versus being on the buy list for fifty cents, like. If sure, you sure. don't know how many of them you have, you might not want to go get them. Yep, that's fair. Uh, Thomas, you want to go next? Uh, sure, I'll jump in here. So uh, in terms of uh, my pick of the week for a pickup is kind of tongue-in-cheek because my pickup is pick up the Ragavan token on your draft table and sell it to me because that token is amazing and it sells great. It sells for about 50 cents right now and I can see... A legendary monkey always being worth money. Yeah, I think people will always go bananas for that card. <laughs> God damn it. I was really hoping you weren't going to have a pun for that one. Uh, it doesn't hurt to monkey around a little bit on this cast. Um, we need so a pun I have, counter. Bad pun counter next week. No, I don't want to pay him off. Uh, I have two. The first one that I, I'm going to steal from Twitter... Um, I think somebody tweeted this at Doug, and I'm sorry, but it was hours ago. I lost it, so I can't give you personal credit. But um, shout out to random guy on Twitter who I think tweeted Doug and said that the Theros soldier tokens that Heliod made are like two bucks a piece, and there's very few of them left on TCG Player. So those might be going up in the near future. So you might want to fish those out and see if there's any in your in the box at your local store. Um, <clears throat> cleric, not yeah. a soldier. What'd you say? Cleric, not a soldier. Sorry. Cleric. It was a cleric that Heliod made? The two ones? I think they're two one cleric tokens. I don't think they're soldiers. Wait, we can, we can look this up, in fact. The two one white, white cleric enchantment creature token. Yeah, it must have just been a clerical error on Travis's part. Um, the other card that I am thinking about is uh, Part the Water Bale that popped up in uh, in the Taking Turns deck in 16th place at the Modern Classic this weekend. I don't think that Mono Blue Turns is about to break out in Modern or anything like that, but I do think those time walk, you know, I wrote about the time walk effect years ago. I have an article about it. Um, I think, and uh, they tend to do pretty well over time. I mean, Temporal Mastery is ten dollars now. Uh, Part of the Water Veil is more recent. Um, there's going to be more copies out there, so it's going to take some time. But it is uh, definitely on the the much stronger end of these effects because it gives you a six six, um, which is very useful when you are chaining infinite turns together. So if the Mono Blue Turns deck ever goes anywhere, or any other type of deck that's abusing extra turns, Part of the Water Veil is probably part of it because it's a good one. Um, I mean, really, for one mana more than than Time Walk, you're getting that six six. So. Uh, well, one mana more 
opportunity cost just playing the card and then you have to pay the obviously the awaken for the creature but uh it's a solid card and they're like a dollar a dollar fifty right now you can probably scoop these up real cheap locally um so just something to keep an eye on i i think that it's unlikely that they will be worth less than you pick them up for in six months a year or two years i i would agree with you there um if you take a look at pretty much every time walk effect ever printed none of them are worth less than a dollar yeah there's like there's the merfolk one what is it taking taking time that one's not too much but yeah in generally they, they have all done well are you talking about the one that says champion of merfolk and then you take a time take oh a there's there's that one oh savor the moment savor the moment is the one i was thinking of but there's also the one you're talking about the wanderwine profits i think yeah it's a little different um I think a way for you to make easy money right now trading is uh, Kiki Jiki. He's uh, $7 low right now. I don't really see him going much lower. It's been a year since we got hit with that new uh, supply. And, like, I don't mind holding on to him. I don't think he's going to get a reprint of Modern Masters 3. I think they have more pressing cards to reprint. So that's just one where that's something I would trade for. Same with Disallow. We cannot keep a single one of those copies in stock, and it keeps falling in price. Um and if you look at Magic Online, I mean, even Fatal Push is really pushing on how high an Uncommon can go in this new set. It's like five or six tickets still. And apparently from what uh, Heath is saying from uh, MTGO traders, they've never seen anything like it. Um, I still would not pick up Fatal Pushes yet, but I like picking up Disallow and Kikijiki in trade. Um, another card that I think will go to 15 is um, Chromatic Lantern. I think this has the potential to hit 15 next year before it gets reprinted again, hopefully. And then we do the same thing. Um, but I mean, it, that just, there was like no, no downturn in demand for more than like two months. It was crazy. That was uh, so fast. Yeah. Do you really think 15 next year though? I think it's 15 next year. It's already 10, which is higher than it was before. It was like seven before the reprint. And then people are like, this is a card. Let me buy it. Yeah. But what if I don't want to wait that long? What what card is this? Sorry, I was not. I got distracted. Oh, that I don't know. That can't that can't go up that much more. Coalition Rocks fifteen. Yeah, there's Coalition uh, Rocks twenty something. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, that, spiked. That yep. card is also has less printings, I think, and less supply. And is it weird because it's also like very good in Interaxa decks in a weird kind of way because you can put the counter on it and then make another one. Oh wait, I got uh, one. If we're going you know, Chromatic Lantern is just good in every deck. <laughs> I like Astral Cornucopia for Atraxa decks. I think it's still a bulker and I've seen every Atraxa deck play it. It's because yeah, it's it in the deck. Cheap. Yeah. It's in the pre <laughs> Oh, it is? <laughs> it turns out yeah, it's very popular uh, in the whatever. deck that it comes in. <laughs> Alright, well this is probably a good place to wrap up the cast. Um, you can find Thomas at Card Advantage in Athens, Georgia. You can find Jim down in Florida, and you can find Travis up in New York. As for me, you can find me in the great state of Missouri, uh, right below the Mason-Dixon line where everyone wears camo to the shop. Uh, thanks for watching Cartel Aristocrats cast number 40, and we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.